how's your sense of direction? I, I do need you to know that mine is amazing. Um, uh, it, it, it is it is so so good. Uh, in in fact, that I, that I actually know where I am, uh, and most of the time can kind of point to you know north approximately. Uh, I don't know whether I've kind of you know part pigeon or something. I'm not quite sure what's going. On. I'm particularly good at this, but it does have a downside, uh, which is that it makes uh, following directions incredibly difficult. Um, uh, Meg will be able to testify that that you know if there is a sign that is going the wrong way. Uh, by that I mean you know it's taking you over here before it then takes you over here. I won't follow it. Because I know it's going the wrong way, which does mean that frequently we get lost because my sense of direction is so good. Um, I, I also, small confession, have car park dyslexia. I don't know whether anyone else has this. Uh, car park dyslexia is, is because we have such wonderful uh, signs in the United Kingdom. Uh, they are really clear. And then you, you come off the main road into the car park and suddenly they've been designed by a GCSE student, uh, and I end up in the caravan park or the HGV park, and I've got no idea where I'm going. Um, I hope that your direction is better than mine, but this morning, um, the readings that we have um, in Exodus and the place that we've got to in Exodus as we've travelled through feels like a little bit like someone's taken us up a uh, country road in the middle of Devon, we've been diverted and we don't quite know where we are. Uh, let me try and explain, and I, I'm really grateful that you're here, by the way, with the number of roads that have been closed and uh, the diverted traffic this morning because of the run. Please do, as I'm talking, pray for Sarah and Joe and Duncan and Philippa and Ben and others from this place that will be running. Um, Exodus. Exodus is this amazing adventure. Moses uh, calls the people of God out following uh, the call that he's been given. And we've travelled through plagues and battles and all sorts of things. And the people of God have been rescued and they find themselves in the wilderness... And we get to chapter 20 and it's fantastic because the commandments have been given and we need, we know we need a bit of clear instruction along the way. And then suddenly we move from adventure to random. What we have following, uh, following the commandments is this strange stuff about Altars and idols, we then have a bit of law regarding servants. I always find it's good to make sure we've clarified our own law in regard to the servants that we have. Uh, then we've got personal injury law. I mean, it's beginning to sound like a solicitor's advertisement. Uh, then we've got property law. Then we've got a passage that in the NIV is entitled social responsibility. But if you read it, and please do, it's not like what you think of when you talk about social responsibility. There's a whole load of other stuff going on there. Then we've got laws about justice and mercy and we've got the Sabbath laws and then it talks about festivals and then suddenly we're back to the adventure because an angel is going to show the way. It's going to be amazing. We're back on track. Everything is fine. And in chapter 24 of Exodus, the covenant is confirmed. But 
then everything goes awry again. And we are going on another diversion on a back lane through Devon somewhere trying to find the holiday home. You know what it's like, don't you? You know, you've booked this lovely place, you've found it on the internet somewhere, so you've not actually had a real conversation with anybody. Uh, they could be fleecing you, frankly. And you follow the directions and you fall off the motorway somewhere after Exeter and then you end up on a tiny little back lane and the hedges get higher and higher and suddenly you know you're in trouble because there's a little bit of grass down the middle of the road. And then you're hoping and praying that you still have mobile signals so you can follow the GPS on your phone. And if you're really lucky, it downloaded the data before you got there. And hopefully, you then turn a corner. And there is your gorgeous holiday home that you've saved for for years. Well, this passage, again, is a little bit like being stuck halfway down the Devon Lane and it's just got the hedges high and the grass has appeared in the middle of the lane. Let me put up a picture for you before I explain it so that you've got a bit of a map and hopefully you might get an idea of where we're all going. Um, And you'll get a few more of these along the way, so don't worry if you can't see the detail. Um, Exodus 25 opens with this idea about people being, the God's people being invited to give so that they can build a sanctuary. In Exodus 25 verse 2 it says this, uh, that the people are to give gifts and offerings from everyone whose heart is prompted to give. You know, as we kind of readdress giving stuff here, that's a really great thing for you to hold in the back of your heads. That actually, when we talk about giving, it really is about whatever God has set on your heart to give. And I want you to be free in this place to give what you want to give. Please don't be bound by the law on it. But do pray and ask. Um, that'd be great. But do respond to what God invites you to do. And if you can't give joyfully, please could you stop? Save up your pennies and your pounds. And when you can give joyfully, then give joyfully. Anyway, that's an aside. Uh, we then get into chapter 25, verse 10, and they start talking about the Ark of the Covenant and the Atonement cover. But there is this promise in chapter 25, verse 22, that God says, I will meet you in that place. I will meet with you. And then there's a table that's going to hold the bread of the presence. Uh, and this table is to be for, before the Lord all the time. And there's lampstands. And there's uh, this thing called a tabernacle. And there's a holy place. And there's a place that's even more holy. So cunningly they call it the most holy place. It's a great name. I love that name. Uh, and it's to be separated. The holy place and the most holy place are separated by a curtain. And the most holy place is the place that contains the Ark of the Covenant. And there's to be an altar outside. Uh, that's here. And the Ark of the Covenant's in there. Altar's here. And the altar has got poles on it so that it can be carried. This whole thing that's being described is portable. When you get inside into the most holy place and the holy place, everything's made of gold, but when you get outside, it's bronze. Apart from anything else, they want to put a whacking great big fire on it, and it's much better if you make it out of bronze. 
And then there's a courtyard, an outer courtyard and an inner courtyard. There are lamps and they're to be kept burning all the time. And then there's priestly garments. The description of the ephod is amazing. I'm sure you would love me to wear the ephod for every service, but I might end up moving a little bit slower. Thankfully, someone has built a replica so that we get a bit of an idea of what is going on. And I don't know about you, but all of this feels a little bit like, what? What's going on? One of the habits that we've encouraged you into is to be reading the Bible. How are we doing? I've got to the end of my Bible in a year. Didn't take me a year. Took me, it's great, read the Bible in a year and it takes you a bit longer than a year. But anyway, I think it was nearer two. So I've downloaded, uh, following Meg's lead, uh, the HTB Bible in a Year app, which gives you helpful comment along the way from both uh, Nikki and then little tag on the end from Pippa as well. But I hope that when you're doing your Bible reading, I hope that you are, I encourage you to, that you don't skip over bits, that you don't skip over the boring bits, because sometimes the bits that seem the most boring can in fact be the most important. The replica that someone has made um, is fantastic, life-size. They've made it, and uh, you can go and visit it in this place, um, but it still kind of doesn't give us a concept of how big the tabernacle was, so I drew it over the top of the church. Um, so it goes from that window to the steps just before you get to the disabled bait. I mean, that's approximate. Please don't hold me to it. It's about 150 feet long and about 75 feet wide. And then this is the holy place and this is the most holy place with the curtain that divides the two. And the Ark of the Covenant would have been right in here. There you go. Seven chapters summarised. Thankfully, we only, we, we only read uh, a, a little bit of that this morning, uh, but that's what I've just covered. I wonder how it sits with you. I wonder if perhaps we might just dig a little bit deeper and try, if we can, to set this in context of the rest of the Bible so that we can actually understand what's going on. So come with me on a little journey, if you will, and if you want all these verses, I can send them to you afterwards, just let me know. In Genesis, the the opening with Adam and Eve is this wonderful picture. However you understand those first couple of chapters, that's not the point for today, but there is this wonderful picture in Genesis chapter 3. Of God in the cool of the day, coming and walking in the garden. I don't know whether you've ever been to a hot country and done that. A number of years ago, Meg and I went to, to Spain and we were there on the, on the hillside and, and we were, we were there at the wrong time of year. Uh, we went in April, but we insisted that the pool was open, you know. Um, and we, you know, that, that, that spaciousness of the end of the day as things have cooled down for us Brits and being able to walk in the dryness and the beauty. And at the end of the day, the creator of the universe in the cool of the day comes and walks 
in search of people. But they've gone their own way. And he calls out to them, where are you? And they're hiding from him. And because of what they've done, they're unable to remain in God's presence. And so they get excluded from this amazing place. As we read through the rest of Genesis, we see God calling a person, Abram. And then he shapes a people and those people get, get put into slavery. And then the story that we've been on in Exodus, he pulls them out of slavery and they become a nation. And then we get this idea introduced in the reading today of the tabernacle. I want you to make a sanctuary for me and there I will dwell among them. Come and make this thing. It's called a tabernacle, a tent, a dwelling place, a place where God abides, where he lives. There's this strange verse and set of verses in Ezekiel chapter 10. Uh, Backtrack one, sorry. The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. End of Exodus. There's this cloud. The cloud of the presence of God comes and rests upon the place. And at the end of Exodus, there's this wonderful verse. It says that this is in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. Cloud by day and fire by night. The glory of the Lord is amongst the people. He's chosen to dwell with them, to tabernacle with them. Then there's this strange verse in Ezekiel. Where in the temple that they've built, the glory of the Lord leaves the temple. He departs from the people. But at the beginning of John's Gospel, you'll remember these verses from John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling. He moved in. He was present with. And Jesus says of himself, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. He's not talking about the temple that they can see in front of them. He's talking about his own body. He's become the temple. And then in Hebrews... He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. He becomes the mediator of the new covenant. You see, this stuff is not a diversion at all. This is not us getting lost and distracted somewhere in the back end of Exodus. This is core to understanding what Jesus has done. You see, it's impossible to understand the cross just as an act of love. It is fundamental to how we understand the gospel that the cross is an act that is tied into the old sacrificial system. One act by one man pays for sin once for all. 
in Mark's Gospel, it says this, that the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. And at the end of Revelation, it says this, that God's, and this is talking about the future, that God's dwelling place is now among the people. A new heaven and a new earth. Do you see that not a word in the Old Testament is wasted? It has this richness that explains the wonder of what God has done for us. He was always trying to get his people back. He was always wanting to be close to dwell with us. And he is coming back. And he will dwell with us in person. That's the testimony of Revelation 21 verse 3. But you know what? That's the end. But there's more for where we are now. See, in 1 Corinthians it says this, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. That He dwells in us. You see, none of this is a diversion. None of this is a country lane in Devon. It all points to the King of Kings and the wonder of what he's done. And it's also a picture of a coming reality. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Too often we talk about the church not having any authority anymore. And you know our authority is not in being an institution. It is not about a man or a woman standing at the front with a dog collar on. The authority is not presiding in a bishop or in any denomination. The authority is the fact that we are the body of Christ with him as the head. Not me or you, him. And we, as people that are following Jesus, are filled with his Holy Spirit. He comes and dwells in us. This means that the authority we have is not an arrogant, judgmental, over bearing authority. It is a quiet, inward authority of knowing, of listening, of loving, of blessing. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It is a power and authority that is not of our own, but is His. And as people that are full of His Spirit, He sends us out into the world to make a difference, to invite others to follow Him, to leave the world a little better than we found it, to speak life and blessing 
to others. Folks, I'd love to pray. Will you stand with me? Just as we as we stand, let's wait for a moment. And not for our own sake, but for the sake of what Jesus has called us to do. Let's simply welcome afresh the indwelling of the living God by the power of his Holy Spirit. Not for a nice feeling, although it might feel nice, but for purpose, because he's blessing us to be a blessing. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this church family. We give you permission, not that you need it from us, but we give you permission to take your rightful place, to come and indwell us. Come and be king of our thinking and our feeling. And come and be king of our living. In Jesus' name.